The entire Check. podcast will be conducted in Italian. Yes. Is that too loud or is Fantastical. the... No, no, I can hear perfectly. Wow. Incredible. My year in Italy and I didn't pick up a lick of Italian. Check, check. I can say, oh. questo, per favore, questo. <laughs> Una birra grande freddo, per favore. <laughs> I remember when Ted came back from Italy, all he really knew how to do is, is curse in a really bad way. And I was like, really, that's all you learned? That, that was the that's influence your, of Rob Bodum. That's the essential stuff. <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah, street lingo. All right, all let's get it going. Lingo. Welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Minoff. I'm Tony Serenai. And we're here with Jay Braun and... Daniel Graves. Daniel Graves. Daniel Graves. We are honored to have Daniel Graves with us. Straight off the boat from Italy? Not quite. No, not quite, but uh, happy to be here. It's a really exciting time and uh, had a great weekend. The opening of your uh, Jersey City location for the Florence Academy. It's this is the inauguration. We opened in January. So right. we're in our second term and really excited. Um, I was amazed at the turnout. What a buzz. We had people from all over the place coming. Uh, old friends uh, that I met in Florence years ago. Uh, people from that actually you know, came over specifically for this event. And it was great. It was a beautiful space and the space building, it's like an arts building or What's what's the deal with the building exactly? <laughs> what is the deal? Um, Pull back the layers. We want break down the fourth wall. We want to hear all about this. It's a million square feet of industrial space. They're converting into galleries, fine restaurants. Uh, it's going to be an art center, and I think no better place. By the path train, it's 15 minutes from Manhattan. Yeah, really easy is, to is get this to. Is part of the Jersey City like arts revival that they're doing? I guess. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's gaining momentum uh, and more people finding out about it and these art opening uh, afternoons like the one on Sunday bring in like two three thousand people and wow they're really curious so they come yeah. in they ask questions they're really blown away you know they, uh, and every every single studio has something else going on they're gonna have a sound studio on uh, in another part of the building uh, there's a, a foundry on the premises yeah. so it's I heard there's, like, place there's a framer. We're, we're swimming with the sharks. I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> right, way yeah. different than what How does doing. that feel to be in there? I mean, I was just outside of the school. There were some uh, pretty abstract paintings. I was joking that those were Jordan's new body of work. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Sokol, who, who's, he's the <clears throat> head instructor, director of the uh, new... Yeah. No, I think it's the perfect place for us. I think, uh, you know, all these years being in Florence... Uh, we all felt pretty isolated, and the thing that we really needed was to rub shoulders with what's happening. And right. no better place, New York, Jersey. I mean, you know, there's so much energy. And I think, um, you know, coming away from that last night, uh, I just was overwhelmed with a positive energy and yeah. excitement that was in the air. We never get that in Florence. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, not to this degree, let's say. I mean, it was, right. it was Well, you have some real. big events in Florence, oh, right? Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. the shows the at the Corsini Stables. Yeah. Those have gone well, yeah. Do you feel, do you feel like um, being in Florence that you're isolated? Do you have that feeling? A bit, you know. Sometimes there'll be an exhibition, a uh, group show, uh, here in the states, and uh, we just don't hear about it until it's after, you know it's already up and uh, and, and finished. And then <laughs> even, yeah, okay, we could have you know been part of that, I guess. Right. Uh, there is a little bit of that, and by having a presence in the states, I think we'll be far more connected. That's very important to us. So yeah. We we definitely have the old world kind of connection, and I think for the student, especially for studying, that's really important. Um, but. Uh, 
it's an ever-changing uh, environment. The realist world is just uh, reinventing itself and exploding, expanding in so many different ways. And I think we want to be a part of that. We want to have a voice in it and have the options, uh, of it, you know, more options available for 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 young people coming into this kind of career. Right. So do you feel like there's kind of a dialogue that gets created between the uh, maybe the stuff that like we all had to fight against years ago, but now, uh, you know, maybe has some interesting ideas? To Absolutely. I think we have to create this dialogue and we have to be part of it. I mean, for me, it's never been uh, us against them. It's right. always been uh, just focus on what you're doing. If it's good enough, people will recognize it. Um, you know, Should there be one kind of music? No, yeah, of course right. not. Have jazz. Have you know, diversity is the spice of life. And um, I really, uh, a lot of people want to point the finger at the abstract painters and say, you know, you're putting us down. You're not let. No, let's just make a, a place for ourselves. Ourselves, and, yeah, and, yeah, and make ourselves uh, valid. I mean, I feel we already are, but right. You know, I, I want the acceptance of that validity. I but do you feel like that then we haven't been, or this kind of painting hasn't really been widely accepted? Or do you feel, I mean, you've had a great career and continue to have a great career, and there are a lot of people, you know, Anagoni through, you know, what are generally considered pretty dark days for realist painting, you know, was painting beautiful paintings and very successful and getting big commissions and... Yeah, the dark days <laughs> come and they go. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, was actually patronage. And I think uh, it's something that Jacob and I, Jacob Collins and I, feel pretty strongly about that we have to develop it. And, you know, we look back to the 70s when very little was known about different types of wine. And it wasn't until Wine Connoisseur kind of hit the stands and people could understand what the differences were, why you paid more for one type than another. and Even though people would say, yeah, it's wine is wine, and you start stop realizing whining. it's, no. it's <laughs> not. <laughs> there were also people collecting wine at that point, just not as many. I mean, yeah. Obviously, yeah. somebody was keeping that tradition alive. Yeah, well, it was mostly European tradition in America. Wine was, uh, you know, it's like soccer. They, <laughs> the rest of the there. world was like, you yeah. know, head over heels, and, but it slowly was introduced to to the states and i think you know and it became huge it's about education yeah. you know people have to be uh educated about the differences so therefore they can make uh, intelligent decisions about what their choices are so you know the same thing has to happen with what we're doing we need good critics that will be able to distinguish the difference between the stuff that's being hacked out and the stuff that's really uh got meaning and, and value and when we have those people uh, this is going to turn around, and it, I think it has to be in conjunction with something significant, like a salon, something that where you can see all of the, the 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 painters that are out there, uh, all the realist painters that are out there, side by side, the right. actual painting. You know, uh, I, I give Fred Ross a lot of credit for you know putting From the ARC together ARC. with uh, you know the salon that they put on, but yeah. um, I believe you know that what's missing is the actual painting next to one next to the other so you can really distinguish the difference because the physical, the physical the physical thing, painting being in the same room with all these yeah. together yeah because yeah. for me it's a huge difference it's well not, i mean for not your... it's not just an image it's a it's an object you know right. you can move around it you can see the paint texture you can you know get really close to you move far away you can't do that digitally right yeah. and that you're only i mean a lot of what i'm not interested yet. not yet <laughs> <laughs> 
the technology to close that gap. Yeah. Sorry, but a lot of what you're interested in is is texture and exploring kind of the three dimensional paint surface and. Yeah, I, I think that's what I learned by going to Europe. Uh, you know, I studied art history, and I was thinking, ah, oh, yeah, I know a lot about you know painting and whatever. And I get to Florence, and then I see a fresco. It's enormous. I think, oh my gosh, is that the same painting that I was? You know, studying in this little black and white <laughs> reproduction, <laughs> right. and and then you know your your curiosity uh, starts to uh, really take take hold when you when you get up close to these Renaissance paintings and you see the layering, the the understanding of the materials, and that really really caught my interest. Uh, I realized a lot of the beauty in the work that I was seeing came through the, the materials, yeah, and that's yeah, very teachable. Right. You know, you, I I never believed that I could teach anybody to become an artist. I mean, you can show them around the museums and you can expose young people to, to a lot of the culture that's surrounding. It can be music and philosophy, all these things count. But the artistry, the, the thing that uh, each of us has inside of us is unteachable. You just have to have the courage to actually get it out there. Mm. And the, the right environment for that is so important. You know, Do you think uh, everybody has a little bit of that in them naturally? Absolutely. Everybody, everybody. Everybody. Even when they say, oh, I'm not creatable. You know, that's, that's not true. I really don't. Think, so I, human nature is to, we just to be get creative. A, we get a bag of that when we're born. And, <laughs> yeah. And then how you use it is sort of up to you. And I think those people that suppress it are, are frustrated. You know, many art historians that I meet, for example, they love painting. But they've never been encur never encouraged it. to actually try and, and do something with it. Well, one thing you said about when you were talking about um, uh, when you were talking about the critics and everything, do you feel like educating the masses, educating the critics, critics to write about it, whether it's the, the critics or the art historians? Do you do we do we or does somebody have to influence the academic world? Like, how do you change the critics to to understand what? You were, you were just talking about. That's a really good point. And I think there, right now, um, we really lack critics, yeah. educated critics. And writers. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, who could really write about our movement? Who really understands the ins and outs of it? I think like, there are a handful. And yeah. uh, they're, they're more involved in the art world than they are in writing. Oh, yeah. And so uh, one real insightful thing that happened many years ago was... Uh, I read a translation of a critic of the Salon in 1880, and they went through the paintings that had been chosen for honorable mentions and so forth. And I was amazed at how articulate. They nailed those paintings so perfectly. Technique, expression, um, the mastery of the mediums, everything they knew. They didn't miss on any point. And I find it very difficult outside of our little community of painters uh, to talk intelligently with somebody on that level. Yeah, right. And so that's where they have to come up to speed. There are art historians that are amazing. You know, they got uh, a wealth of knowledge that they bring to the table. But it's different. This is a live culture. This is not history. We're not connecting what we're doing with popes. You know, we're it's happening now. And the only people that can really uh, add, a, add a clear voice to that I think the people that are in the trenches, you know, right? The people yeah. That are so teaching people who have studied, sure. yeah, but, and at least tried to. Yeah. But yeah. That becomes a bit of the problem when we talk about that. Is that um, you know the people who are dedicating their lives to this are usually too busy 
trying to learn how to paint and draw or dedicating their life to it or dedicating their <laughs> life to it to be able to go out there and be in the trenches of the writing it almost seems like the critics they need to they need to be painters and draftsmen to understand how to write about it like to i mean do you think the the critics of the 19th century i mean i remember reading uh, uh articles on them and they were all painters they all yeah. studied painting and drawing mm-hmm. they all did it Mm-hmm. So that's how they were able to know, you know, what they're they? looking at. There was, they? A lot of them did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them were trained right. in one way or another. Yeah. No, it was, uh, yeah, I think, expected that they would have to somehow be connected. In, in, at one point in their life, uh, who could write best about ballets? You know, somebody who's actually who danced. Right. You know? yeah. Because they know what the pain and the difficulty of things are that uh, only somebody who's actually danced could get, possibly uh, know. Sports announcers who are former athletes. Yeah, they so, understand how to call yeah. a player, you yeah. know, because or, they you know, were. They know what it takes to be that level of an athlete, too. Yeah. Did yeah. Ruskin ever study? I don't know. Oh, yeah. He did? Uh, yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> Can I stop you guys for a second? Because, yeah, um, this yes. is something I wanted to uh, actually open up the, the, uh, this discussion with. Um, first of all, I wanted to thank you both for adding this uh, incredibly valuable. Uh, idea idea of what we're trying to to do to our our world because uh you know there are a lot of probably people out there that uh for reasons of distance and time and whatever uh, can't connect to the people that you're interviewing and this is a way that uh they get to in some ways meet us or uh share with you the the experience of Of what uh, we do as what we do Uh, yeah well the ideas are also some of the most important things and you know to be able to voice those i hope we can get into that because this is you know the the deeper the the more nitty-gritty the conversation for me the better (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but first of all i want to give you guys a little gift these these are etchings that i've made thank you these are your house no it's not my house (laughs) no they look like your house you have that Great, kind of that tower overlooking. No, this uh, is a place Florence. out in the uh, out past Ponte Sieve. But Thank you so it's much. Beautiful. I'm honored to have this. This is beautiful. And it, it, I wanted it to also to to be oh. a, a a kind of an entrance Thank into so a discussion about uh, uh, etching as an art form and how unfortunately wow. it's uh, disappearing and it's uh, etching. What's interesting about it, and, and Zorn, uh, who produced uh, so many beautiful etchings, and uh, and there are quite a number of painters during the 19th century that uh, uh, not only specialized in, in etching, but they used it as uh, as a tool for uh, getting their work uh, out into the public. Xerox copy. Yeah, you can, you know, before you can multiples, the internet, there was before the internet and multiple <laughs> copies. Was the only way to get it out there. Uh, and you know there there are just so many people uh, in the 19th century. Well, the some that we all know, like Whistler and Pennell and others, uh, Seymour Hayden, uh, Frederick uh, David Roth. Uh, but it would be great to start to bring that tradition back because yeah. uh, it's not like painting. It's very much a uh, uh, it's a different activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so direct. It's uh, done in stages. It's much more cerebral. I've, it's not quite so, you know, yeah. uh, physical in that right. sense. And I think a number of people who try it, who uh, uh, who have been studying, like drawing pencil and drawing in charcoal and so forth, they immediately take to this and they think, wow, this is an amazing medium. But the thing that is different is that you're not working with the paper. 
you're working with metal. Right. And some people are very interested in that whole process, the the, the manipulation of the tool. Yeah. Where the, the plate is actually a tool yeah. that produces the, the print. And you have to deal with some pretty dangerous acids, right? <laughs> the acid Do you mind going through it? Do you mind going through the process? Yeah. Sure. Uh, the process is, you know, reduced to its simplicity is quite very simple. Um, you take a copper plate and you cover it with bitumen and wax, a mixture of bitumen and wax. Bitumen. Bitumen's like tar, asphalt. And uh, it's melted together and then you kind of uh, heat up the plate, melt it on, and in this very, very thin layer, extremely thin layer. But it's resistant to the acid. And then, you, uh, but very simply, you just draw on that. Uh, you can uh, transfer a pencil drawing onto it. You can draw directly on it. Um, and you carve maybe, in with etching tools, with like sharp, pointy tools. It's not. You're not really carving into the plate. You're just scratching through the the etching ground. Right. Then the plate. After you finish the drawing, you put it in. Uh, it's called Dutch Morden or nitric acid. Either one of the two. It's Which a will burn your face off if you're not careful. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you would. Yeah, definitely wouldn't want to drink that stuff. Uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, Dutch Morden has hydrochloric acid and potassium chlorate and water. So uh, <laughs> the potassium chlorate's a buffer and sort of slows it down. It doesn't bubble up so much. But uh, 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 then the plate is left in the acid for a certain amount of time. And if you uh, want very fine lines, you leave it in for a short period of time, pull the plate out, stop yeah. them out. You put, have stop out varnish. You cover up some of the lines. You put it back in the acid and so on and so forth until it's finished. Then you take the, the bitumen off. You clean the plate and... Uh, rub ink into the lines, take a damp piece of paper, put it over the plate, and run it through an etching press. That's how simple it is. Yeah. They have a great uh, demonstration at the Rembrandt House in yeah. Amsterdam. They okay. have like an, an old, a replica of an old printing uh, etching press. Mm -hmm. well, was it, you had a, well, let me just ask two questions. One, so is it, are you drawing in negative? What you see um, while you're drawing on the plate is kind of the reverse of a normal negative. drawing because the the right. plate is black. It's um, well, you can actually smoke the plate and make it even blacker. But uh, so as you, as the stylus cuts through this bitumen uh, ground, it reveals the plate that's underneath it, which is copper color copper. and it's very light. So it's the reverse of light and dark. That's a little bit tricky. There are these um, ideas that uh, many of the printers in the past had a white ground so that would allow them to draw and you'd see the copper lines as being dark oh, yeah. uh, but it's maybe a you know urban legend or something <laughs> now lies so are you doing this pretty well here's my second question is when you said you could transfer a pencil drawing onto it is yeah. that a mechanical process or you have to do it by eye and by hand um, both ways. You could trace your drawing with tracing paper and, and transfer it that way. Mm -hmm. Or um, David Roth, for example, had a whole technique where he used a special paper that he would dampen. He'd do a pencil drawing on it, dampen the paper, put it over the top of the plate, run it through the press, and the pencil lines would transfer onto the, onto the ground. So you could see wow. these light gray lines all over the etching ground and then you, you know, redraw it. Yeah, it was what, a fantastic process. What's great about etchings, too, is even though it's, um, you can make... A bunch of the same image from that original drawing each one is is actually an original absolutely because yeah. everything depends like the first striking of it is different than the fifth if you choose to do that many um, if you were to run a, a new batch it just looks completely different mm -hmm. how 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 the pressure that sure. you would put on the pr on the press itself. It's more so about how you wipe the plate. It's more about how you take the ink off. You, you yeah. can leave some ink on, like uh, the prints you have. Yeah. There's a little bit of plate tone on them. Uh, it adds a certain amount of you know atmosphere and so yeah. forth. It's really 
uh, you know, very effective in that way. The lines have such a beautiful quality too. Absolutely. There's a certain, they're very precise, but there's also a certain softness to them. Uh, Again, how you print it. And then you can change the color of ink. You can go from really jet black to uh, all different sorts of brown, reds. And, and this has a, uh, and this has a, now can you explain the difference between an etching and a lithograph? Because I know some people have uh, get confused confused about that sure lithographs well they I'm yeah it's, it's becoming more and more difficult because the lithographs are made on a, on a sandstone yeah. and they're the quality of sandstone the ones that they used in the past they just don't exist anymore mm -hmm. so they're not being mined um, and so most uh, lithography is done on aluminum plate which I, d I think is not nearly not, as effective. Yeah, yeah. You can't get mm -hmm. those the amazing amount of values yeah. that you were getting on the sandstones, which yeah. is pretty amazing. Are um, you using a copper plate for the? Always copper, always uh, very copper. line etching. That's it. Does like it matter? It simple. <laughs> Does it matter? Like, can you use different metal? That yeah. I didn't. Can you use different metal plates and get different results? Absolutely. Yeah. Tony uh, likes to use gold. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. So, silver. I mean, the first plates were probably made out of, uh, out of steel. Uh, the process really began when they were trying to decorate armor, and they were using, uh, you know, taking a shield or um, a breastplate or something, and they wanted to put a design on it. So they covered it with wax, and they drew into it, and then submerged it in a salt and vinegar solution, which ate away yeah. the metal. And this was in steel. And so mm -hmm. the early etchers uh, got the idea, okay, we could do that in a plate and then make multiple prints from it. And sure enough, that's... that's when did that begin? Um, when was that? In Italy, probably in the 1400s. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So do you mind... Um, I, Ted has always told me about like you know your 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 hit like how much history you know and and your wide knowledge of art. I'd love to know where it began. Oh, you're you're wow. a native New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. You were from the state of New York. A I'm young like, Dan Graves in like, Rochester. Okay, yeah. we're going back. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay, cool. the Florence cool. Academy is like, wow, you have no Italian accent because <laughs> you're an American. <laughs> <laughs> I was born and raised just outside of Rochester, a uh, little town called Pittsford. Uh, yeah, it related to the founding, uh, found you know the founders of Pittsburgh. Uh -huh. Got a bunch of family still up there. Um, yeah, I get back once in a while. I was back for my high school class reunion last <laughs> summer. That was a trip. <laughs> but uh, no, my story. It's now it's getting kind of long. But uh, the the art has always been in my life. I mean, from the time I was three, I was drawing and. Mm -hmm. Even in school, I was in math class, I was drawing, and obviously didn't do so well in math, but pretty well <laughs> in art. And, but that, you know, it, it allowed me to, to follow that passion, and I think right. um, I knew that, that was the road for me, that uh, I, I've, I've sacrificed a lot to stay on that road, I think, as all of you mm -hmm. guys have, you know. And it may be our commonality, because it wasn't like you just signed up for you know, law school, got a job, and then somebody gave you your, your wages. Well, there was no clear path. There was no clear path, exactly. Back then, no internet, you know, where do you go to study? I was looking for somebody who could, could draw, could teach but me how to draw. you managed to find a lot of really great people who, who were able to help you along that path. I, I I think I was very lucky. You know, I think was, some of it's just kind of dumb luck. You, you, you're the, um, for example. What is going on with you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ted had his I had elbow my elbow on my phone. Your stupid phone. 
Check your phone, <laughs> stupid. Siri, back back in the. <laughs> Siri's always finding a way in our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. They'll find you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so we're at that time, did you know to look for, for like, teaching, like teachers? It became clear that, that, that the, many of the teachers that I, that I was exposed to, they just couldn't draw. And everything that, was in, that I understood from the, the painting that I loved is that uh, these guys could draw. They could really draw. And how were you exposed to the paintings that you loved? Like, what, how well, did that come about? At that point, it was just going to museums and, you know, getting exposed to the things that were around me in Baltimore and so forth at university. Mm-hmm. But um, I think at that point in my life, um, my, the direction became really clear that in order to, to produce the paintings that I had in my mind or the, ide- the ideas I, I wanted to put down in, on canvas were... Uh, the barrier was that kind of knowledge. And what I was getting um, was mostly an indication to follow somebody else's style. You know, that most mm-hmm. of the painters, I would, and it wasn't that they did that on purpose, but they didn't know how to teach principles. They just knew how to do what they did, and they said, okay, just follow Here's me. Here's what I do. Yeah. And, and I kind of re- I reacted against that because I was looking for my own voice. I wanted to find what it was that I wanted to paint. And they were leading me further away from that. And I think that's a little bit of an injustice to the individual. And when I founded the Florence Academy, I thought, you know, that's not going to be any part of what we do. I right. really, really want to um, to emphasize that uh, every person's an individual and it's their own path. They have to find their own path and encourage them to be mm-hmm. courageous, to get out there. And, you know, even if it's, you know, you want to paint... Uh, you know, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever it is, just find out what you want to paint and then do it. And How do, it do you the encourage you that? I think it's, uh, it's, it's like raising a child, you know, it's like encouraging Mm-hmm. To to find their way. I don't and, know how to do that. So. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. And and it's so it's it's important for your own children. It's important for the people that you come in contact with to uh, to know. You know, you can kind of point your kids in in one direction. Khalil Gibran, you know, from the says, uh, you know, parents are the bows and children are the arrows. You know, you get to kind of direct them, sort of, but you mm-hmm. got to let go. Yeah. And I've I've used that with my own son, and I think uh, it's part of the school as well because um, I see, you know, people are happy. You know, they they want to follow that road. It's a hard road. It's you know the fork, the you know the proverbial fork in the road where you take the the, the road less traveled, and when you do, when you decide to do that, you need your friends, your family around you to say it's okay. Because what you're gonna mostly hear is, could you just paint me a, one more still life with a blue background, it'll grade over the couch, you know? Right. And, <laughs> and, so sad. Yeah, and you gotta do that sometimes too. Yeah, you know, right. you gotta put food on the table, but if, uh, if you can distinguish the difference between the bread and butter paintings and yourself and keep a clear, you know, don't don't get fuzzy about it, but right. really keep clear on that, and then have have your good friends as your sounding boards to say, you know, do you think I'm like out of my mind here? Uh, uh, Is that <laughs> you a gotta big... really? You got to really <laughs> trust these people. Is that a big? Easily. Yeah, no, you need that. You need Is that, that a big part of of your sort of founding the Florence Academy? Is to surround yourself with? I mean, when we spoke to Jacob Collins, uh, that was a big thing. Huge. Yes. It's yeah. huge. Without that, you're you're just a ship without a, a, a sail. So pretty much rudder. creating a community. Yeah, that yeah. you all know your your pains and your successes, and yeah. you can all 
sort of get on the same boat. We're all on the same team, yeah, you know. Like, sure. uh, right. you know, I hear so many, so many painters today. They, oh, that guy's work. I, I, it, it really troubles me because you know everybody's bringing something new to the table. You know, someone likes Odd Nerdrum, someone likes Nelson Shanks, somebody likes, uh, you know, Lopez Garcia. These are all icons. I mean, they're amazing painters. Yeah. Like, get over it. You know, they, they might not do what you want to do. Okay, but, um, but you should do what you want to do and let them do their thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's yeah, exactly yeah. it. And let and they should be saying that same thing back to you. You know, be who you are on this planet to be. And sometimes you you know sometimes you take a right turn and you're not a painter at all. You're a sculptor or you go into fashion to design. You know, it's okay. But yeah. follow that path. You know. And I sound like I'm preaching, but you know, that, <laughs> you're not I, I, because that's such an that's an absolutely like necessary thing not only in the arts but i think as like a species <laughs> but to go that to that, go that way that's the only talk you know that's the only thing that i find really that's the nuts and bolts of what we're doing the so, technical stuff is all you know go through the program learn how to draw you know but then when you when you're when you leave the school then it's really hard yeah. and you, everybody kind of takes a dip you know they don't they're finding their own way right and we you know we created this fourth year prize program at florence academy specifically for students that are doing extremely well who need that extra year to sort of get their feet and they got some big projects they want to do and i find it tremendously rewarding to see them come into their own and try things that they that just didn't have the time uh, or space to be able to do it. And so it's So it's a three-year program, but then this is a fourth year for some outstanding students exactly. who need that year to kind of find their voice mm -hmm. and you support them in that They have a studio right journey. next to mine. I see them every day. So oh, that's it's great. really, really hands-on. We do all kinds of technical projects uh, from you know various types of uh, canvas preparation, paper preparation, panel preparation, grinding paint. Uh, one of my favorite things is uh, we grind up a whole ton of paint and put it on their palette, like a big walnut size of, you know, basic uh, uh, sort of simple palette. Yeah. And hire a model and say, okay, you gotta paint a portrait, use all the paint that's on your palette. <laughs> you should see their expressions. Like, no way. What? <laughs> they get out this, their palette knives and start throwing up paint on. And the and it frees them up because, you know, they're first of all they're thinking, oh my gosh, I you know, they put out mega minute yeah. amounts yeah. of yeah. Of, uh, of paint. <laughs> and because it's expensive and they're yeah. thinking I'm gonna save some money. But then when it's just given to them, they go, oh, wow, this is fun. And you can do so much more. Yeah. If you've got a quantity of paint on the canvas, sure. then you can, if you're just yeah. tinting the canvas. Well, also that experimentation is something, I mean, I think uh, once you're sort of launched into your career and uh, you have a gallery waiting for paintings or oh, commissions, man. it's hard to experiment because, you, you know, every painting is, you know, that's your rent, that's your mortgage, that's your kid's whatever yeah. breakfast. Yeah, and uh, that period, that fourth year, it sounds like that's a great time for people to sort of experiment, to play with, you know, really cake. I mean, maybe it's not right for everybody, but really caking on the paint and seeing what that does, and you know, you can. And I think the program itself is fairly, uh, like it is at the Grand Central, fairly regimented, and then oh, yeah. you get out there and you just get to, you know, apply it in whatever way you want. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you, when you were, um, the idea when you were building a community of artists was 
Florence to to move it to Florence was it the obvious reason because was, it was, was Florence already, no, was or there. Like, you were already there it was just, yeah again kind of uh, the right place right time how and, did you end up in Florence oh boy well I went to graduate school there my first wife uh, her um, sister was living there and so I visited Florence when I in 1968 and just being there was enough. That was it. I just knew that that was the place that I had to be. So I went back. And then Joe Shepard, who I studied with in Baltimore, uh, said that there was a guy in Florence who drew better than anybody he'd ever ever seen. He couldn't remember his name. He said, just <laughs> yeah. No, literally, I went to Florence with... Scusi, scusi, uh, senor. There's a guy <laughs> like, who could draw, draw really draw. well. And the, everybody said, Anagoni, go over there. So wow. literally... Oh, whoa. Um, yeah. Uh, ended up knocking on his door, uh, met Ben Long, who was studying with him, mm-hmm. and Johnny Cacciadini, others. And it was like walking into a you know, 19th, century, 19th century studio. It was amazing. I and didn't know you met Anagoni. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know no, he wrote the forward yeah, to yeah, one of my shows. And it just, I mean, it just, sort just of dawned on me. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Can, you, can yeah. you talk about that experience a little bit? Because a lot of people don't know you know, a, a lot about him. A lot of people just don't know who he is. Yeah. And to us, he's like this... Modern, get out there on the internet and, and there's a, <laughs> actually on YouTube there's a, a, a little video of him working on a landscape in charcoal and in red chalk and you can tell just from that he was at, so at ease at drawing uh, I've never seen any person anyone anytime who could draw like this guy mm-hmm. incredible so, and he was a really generous man I mean he he was he was he, no, no small talk. Always wanted to just get down to the real. Not look at your paintings and tell you what. Yeah, and he didn't say too much. Uh, he spoke English very well, and uh, but um, he was the most tenacious person I've ever met. Like if he willed himself to do something, there was nothing that could stop it. It was uh, <laughs> a formidable <laughs> force of nature. And um, how old was he at the time? I mean, I met him when he was about. Um, my age, actually, mm. yeah, sixty-five, yeah. yeah. And what? And did you have you know sort of philosophical conversations with him at all? Sure, I never studied with him. I yeah. want to make that clear because I yeah. think you know a lot of people will who, say it who, because who of met the... him say, "Well, yeah, I don't study with him." <laughs> yeah. No, I did not. The pedigree is, is I definitely uh, you know Ben Long was definitely studying with him at the time. I don't right. know if many of you know Ben, um, but you know picked up this ability to draw like Anagoni was incredible mm. and. Uh, Johnny Cacciarini was in the office. Uh, he was an Italian student, uh, studied for many years. Um, but Anagoni, much like um, I think Aud Nerdrum, he had a, a group of people around him. He didn't really teach, he just uh, let you watch him work. And I think there was a lot to learn from that. He, uh, he pulled you into the process, uh, taught you all about the materials, and but when it came to just sitting down and talking, he was really about life and death, about why mm. you painted, and um, very, very moving. I mean, uh, <laughs> you could really get into some deep conversations, maybe too, <laughs> sometimes too strong. But uh, um, uh, he was working on a fresco project in Monte Cassino, and I went down for a week and was helping out and doing things around uh, to... You know, grind colors and help him in, in the process and you know we'd sit at the table and talk and so forth and it was just amazing it was like you know he really understood why and how painters uh, 
created works of great art. Yeah. And, and you just felt so connected to the past. He was that link yeah. that uh, was amazing. And I had other experiences. I, I studied with Richard Saren, for example, at graduate school and went on and helped him with some, some different projects. Um, Richard Lack, all the people that I came in contact with, uh, seen me to see me, they all gave their own version of this tradition. Right. And I was so fortunate to have uh, associated with so many different people right at the end of their careers. Yeah. Um, Charles Cecil, I worked with for eight years, uh, studied with Ives Gamble, and so he had that connection. We shared that in a sense. I, I shared it through him. And and it started, you know, the the big picture started to form. And I, uh, I, I the Florence Academy is uh, is a combination of all those yeah, things, and now it's moved on from that uh, to uh, you know embracing a lot of the things that have been discovered since then. You know, right? Yeah, but you're definitely. It seems that um, from people I've talked to who studied at the Florence Academy, that, including me, including Ted, <laughs> yeah. that you're that you're creating those that are very much your own. Like it's the Florence Academy version of what you were just talking about, yeah. which I think is beautiful, that you're creating the history, like your own history. I, I never really wanted to reinvent the wheel. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't want to just say, okay, um, this is the Dan Gray's version of everything and then everybody follow along behind. No, that's definitely not the, the idea. The idea is to uh, use the best parts of that tradition that we can find, uh, update them, and move forward because the the young people today are uh, not made out of the same stuff necessarily. You know, these where, kids. Yeah, these kids. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, they, it's a different world. They know so much more than, yeah, about yeah. the world than somebody studying in France in the 19th century. It's just uh, well, it's a radically. I mean, just the way that we get news and the way that we see things that are happening all around the world. I mean, as a humanist or humanistic painter, painter in the humanist tradition, I. I I mean, it's hard to, you know, you look around at what's, I mean, we see in a more direct way the suffering all around the world that, oh, yeah. you know, has been a constant, I mean, it's always happened, but we're seeing it more, in a more concrete way than ever before. Absolutely. Do you feel well, like my, that informs your painting or? Absolutely. My, my big concern actually is about uh, superficial knowledge about so many things that mm. What's lacking today, I find, is that uh, nobody really sinks deep, deep, deep into into a subject um, because there's so it's so important to know a lot about everything. Right. And you can uh, you can surf the web, you can do these uh, things you weren't able you weren't able to in the in the past. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons the the curriculum has to stay the way it is or evolve the way it is is because of that one of those fa that particular factor. That if you said, okay, we've got to study for eight to ten years, people just couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. First of all, it's really expensive. And second of all, um, you, ha you have to compress these things now. Yeah. And, and try the world moves faster. It's definitely moving faster, yeah. Do you think it would be good if people, like if, I don't know, if you had some student come to you at 18 and say, I've got eight years, would you, I mean, do you think that would be a good thing or... Do you think that would just be too much? 16 uh, for six or seven years would be ideal. Wow. 16 years of age. It's like learning a language. When right. you, because there is a vocabulary. There is a way. And once you've absorbed those things that are the principles of realist painting, mm -hmm. then you're set free. 
Right. You know, if you're playing the, you know, if you're a concert violinist, you're not thinking about the scales that allowed you to get to the place that you are at that moment. You right. Know? You can't. You've got to forget them and just allow your hands to express the emotions and the, the feelings you have yeah. that are interpreting the piece of music that yeah. you're playing. And, and that's so true of art because if you're, if you're just caught in the, in the technical corner of, of producing a painting, then it's, you know, it, it just, it just uh, brings your world into such a small, little narrow area. And it, you've got to be set free. And I thought if I, that's the frustration, isn't it? You know, I think we all feel a little yeah. bit. I do. <laughs> you know, that that total freedom of expression is. You know, I constantly think, well, did did I actually get the proportions right there? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it brings you back to reality and to, you know, the great the masters of the past and even the minor masters in the 19th century were trained so well. They didn't have any doubts. They just, you know. Went they, for went, it. they went forward. Yeah, yeah. went forward. Can you talk a little bit about how you created the curriculum of the uh, Florence Academy? Uh, sure. It's um, it, it it's still being created. Yeah, it, it's a work in progress. The whole school is a work in progress. I love that concept of it just evolving it's like moving, constantly. It's, it's like, like it's like a living, breathing thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And the second that you box it in too much. It dies. And so, you know, I give a lot of latitude to the teachers at the school, the directors of the program, uh, really f are shaping the the program of tomorrow. And I, I, I want them to do that. I mm -hmm. think if they're engaged in that, um, then it's just going to get better. Because, you know, they have good solid roots. You know, I've <laughs> <laughs> beat it into a place, but I no. taught them. I taught them. I learned them good. I learned them good. No. Ma, get me a switch. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there are, and, and, and the fact that it does evolve is uh, it's exciting for the young people too that are coming into the school. They don't want the same old stuff, you know. I, right. I know, you know, what what I started with is is got to be modified. Right, you know, it's got to keep changing. Well, I also and, find like there we become aware of other traditions that exactly. maybe like you know you were in contact with a certain number of people throughout your training, but then you find oh my God, there's this whole other you know Russian tradition or oh. whatever it is, and yeah, I mean, it's it's really been an amazing forty years for me. You think about where I started. Nobody knew who Soroya was, for example, when I started out. Nobody knew. And most of the 19th century painters, when I discovered Charles Barg and Messonnier and some of the little masters of the 19th century, they weren't being shown anywhere. You yeah. even, I went to the, the, the stacks in the Metropolitan. They had like three Messonniers. Nobody had looked at them in years. Yeah. In fact, they probably they, bought yeah. them for almost nothing. <laughs> probably, well, no. They were actually probably very valuable. Really? When yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd probably and, sell them for and, almost nothing. But that's exactly what they did. They actually sold them, oh, deacquisitioned them uh, shortly after I discovered that they were in the stacks there. <laughs> they have this big the painting. Yeah, they do, yeah. Um, but you really describe uh, does you you found the Charles Barg book right the plates well uh, plates, I, was, the I was definitely one of the first people to to use it since the 19th century and I think other people were were aware of it but um, I put it into action uh, at the school it, it was a great learning tool yeah and can you can you explain what that is a lot of people might not know what that is the the the, the the, the drawing course. Charles Barg's course of uh, for drawing, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
they're lithographic plates. There are three volumes, um, two of which are uh, really beginning uh, plates, which are sections of casts, and you're led through a progression of from very simple drawings to more and more complex. And the last volume is figure studies from life, which break down the figure into really simple planes, simple simple outline, but very effective. Yeah, yeah. Um, block in and, like a very And what became block. extraordinarily clear was how important the outline of anything you're drawing becomes. It's the silhouette that is so, so critical. And then of course the, the edge of the shadow. And everybody who's drawing realistically learns that at some point uh, whether it's pointed out specifically right in the beginning so it's like okay learn this or you kind of come around to figure oh wow I didn't pay much attention to the outline it's not so good and the whole drawing sucks <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but and, and the way I, I, I explain this is that um, you know if you had ten of your friends and you took a photograph of their eye, one eye, and you put them all up on the wall, and then you took a you know high contrast photograph of their profile and put that up on the wall, everybody would know, you would all know uh, who those that people are the, yeah. from the from the you know the, profiles. The simplicity of that. And the same thing like if your friends on the beach and it's just a tiny little figure way off how they walk. And those are the things that our subconscious picks up on. It's not the details. And but when you start to draw, first thing you look at is the corner of the eye and then the corner of the nose and so <laughs> forth. And then, you know, you put all these details together and it doesn't fit. So how do you how do you put together a puzzle? You know, you start with a border because all the you know, edges are flat. Yeah. And see, see, just expound for one second for me, for me. I don't know if we'll include this, but you're saying if you have pictures of people of, of individuals' eyes and then you have pictures of their profile. By seeing their eyes, you can recognize which one of them is the profile. No, you cannot. You cannot. The profile you can recognize. The profile you recognize. But you yeah. can't do it by the Because most people's eyes look pretty similar. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can see, okay, it's got. It can't be this guy because it's blue, brown. Right. But the right. shape of the eye from a, just a small yeah. detail, very hard. For for example, if I was out on the street and you know a friend of ours was three blocks away, uh, we couldn't see any detail on their face, but we can see the proportions of their head to right. their nose to their face, and we would know who they are without seeing anything. In bird watching, this is called the GIS. The it's GIS? It's spelled G-I-S, the GIS. Like, it's the GIS. for a bird watcher. I think it's pronounced GIS. Why do you know that? I don't know. <laughs> Why do you know bird watching? I used to be really watching? into bird watching when I was like, a kid. This is a phenomenon wow. where bird watchers can, from a very far distance, be like, "Oh my God, yeah. it's a rare starling." Yeah. Just because it's it's the essence of the bird. Yeah. Basically, it's the. It's, it's actually yeah. And you're a lot right. Of it is shape, and a lot of it is the way the way the bird flies and everything. But it's long before there's an Absolutely. academic recognition. You don't have to see the individual feathers right. to know what that is. My father during the war had to study black and you know silhouette images of planes, so he. Could, he could identify from the side, oh, wow. from the front, from the back, what type of plane it was. Wow. Because when you're flying around and you, uh, obviously, the radar's not going to tell you what type of plane that is. It's, it's just, say, it's like a dot. It's just a dot. And, and uh, this recognition, and also the memory of the recognition, some pilots couldn't do it. They had real difficulty with visual mem memorization of these shapes, where, you know, someone who's trained like we are, much, much easier. So you feel like that maybe is like one way that some people are just innately mm -hmm. kind of able to, uh, I don't know, draw and paint versus other people who struggle more. Yeah. I mean, is that something that's widely taught that, that you must, that you should do the silhouette first, the outline first? 
It sounds like it's something that people miss if, if, if it's not. There's no one way. I mean, this the the basis of all of this is to bring somebody from literally not holding not knowing how to hold the pencil to That's Jay Brown. <laughs> <laughs> no, he knows how to hold a pencil, but he doesn't hold it right. <laughs> Tell him there's no right way to hold it. <laughs> but yeah, it's Don't touch my technique. <laughs> it's, it really is uh, designed to go from virtually nothing to painting a, a, a professional portrait and, and everything along the way is just kind of streamlined to right. that effect. I mean, there's drawing, the Russian Academy, for example, amazing drawings, mm -hmm. uh, anatomy drawings, drawings oh, yeah. for drawing's sake. Yeah. They're over-modeled. They have, you know... Every they, bump and every little... <laughs> they have amazing ability to render things. Yeah. But to take that and make a painting out of it, then they ha they ha there's a huge breakdown because their paintings... I don't know what happens is gets lost in translation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what the Florence Academy is about is literally going from that drawing, the way in which you draw, getting you to to translate all of that right into paint. It's so a you go step it's into really the step. painting. Like it's yeah. like it's a smooth transition from the yeah. drawing it's right into the It's as smooth as we can make it. Yeah. And it to be honest, it's about building confidence too. You know, if you're thrown too much stuff at the same yeah. time, you go in the first day, start painting and glazing and uh, you know, you have to be led through this, uh, you know, step by step. Right. It, it's not rocket science. It's like tightrope walking. It's so easy to explain and so bloody hard to hard do. Hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just put one foot in front of the other and walk across the rope, dude. You know, it's like. Do you okay. mind if I use that? I'm gonna <laughs> go for it. In my own school, I'm gonna be like, it's not rocket science. More like tightrope walking. But it does work. I mean, you know, uh, I think uh, the thing I'm most proud of is. Uh, well, first of all, my son. <laughs> uh, but uh, the fact that the, the, the people that come through the program uh, have the courage to be themselves. They have a good, strong base of the techniques. And uh, that's my job. You know, mm -hmm. I can't teach them how to be artists. I can mm -hmm. only teach them the techniques and you know, be there to encourage them at the, that dark moment where they say, well, you know, I, I don't know if I should be a landscape painter or a portrait painter or, you know, what my subject should be because the gallery wants a still life and I really don't feel like being, just, what do you want to paint? Yeah. What do you want to paint? Answer that question and then just start doing that. That's, it's so simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. Do you, what, God. What do you want to paint? <laughs> I, I love to paint people. I yeah. really do. I'm, and I paint landscapes, and I, I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, well, I disagree. Painted a lot. Of, <laughs> painted a lot of still lifes, and I don't think I'm very well. Still life painting is one thing. Um, it's just painting something well, you know, yeah. something with sig significance and beauty. Uh, and I think that's, you know, the beauty factor is what's really hard. Really amazing beauty is the the most elusive thing that's out there because when you. You know, I get so many critics that say, well, you know, if if I was you, I would paint this and that, and I could, I know I could do it. Here are the brushes. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it's not that easy. <laughs> right. And there's no guidebook. You know, when you go, uh, I, I, I see every student that uh, comes into the school. I have them for an interview at my studio, and we talk about, you know, how to become an artist and all these things. What, what do they want to paint? And... 
the, the notebook that you keep with you every single day. You were talking earlier about, you know, people that have a notebook all the time and yeah. drawing and uh, you have to do that as an artist. Every time you go into a museum, find something you really love, you know, small passage, draw it, write, you know, little comments saying, how did they do that? Or, you know, this really interests me because it points you in the direction of what you're trying to do because there's no book in the library that says, you know, Ted Minow, this is how you become an artist. Right. We don't have them yeah, for anybody. There's no direction book for that. Yeah. But you're drawn to something, and then that's... But you can make your own book. I mean, in fact, you have to. You have to yeah. take the responsibility to be your own artist. And most people aren't encouraged to do that. Take your technique and become you know, like this guy over here, because he's making a fortune. And so many people are led down that road. Yeah. You know, flash in the pan, like I am. You know, uh, look what this guy does because he looks like sergeant you know you yeah. can get tens of commissions if you can paint like that but do you want to paint like that sure i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> okay sign up over here yeah as Just. as an artist and an educator do you think it's possible because we're talking about teaching technique is it possible to teach taste like how do you um second part of that question is is it possible to teach because we were talking about beauty, um, how to teach somebody to recognize beauty without saying, oh, it's just something pretty. There's something deeper about the definition of beauty than just something looking pretty. Oh, now There's some, the questions are getting interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. There's something um, incredibly like, yeah. you know, deep about that. <laughs> uh, I, I really like that question because I don't have an answer for it, and that always fascinates me. Um, I, I, I don't think... Well, taste and beauty are kind of pretty similar things for mm -hmm. me. Um, um, yeah, you 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 got me stumped. I I I don't think I didn't mean to because I don't I don't have the answer but, either. Yeah, well, great. Well, I mean, it's thrown around a lot, and I don't know how to answer it. Either. Well, but how I think do you exposure. That, I, I think yeah, you address it by exposure. You know, right. if you are trying to uh, understand. Uh, the beauty around you you have to go visit it you have to go see it architecture painting experience it hmm. and it it you commune with it whatever you bring to that process i think art is a mirror and maybe it's a cliche i don't know but it it really feels like that to me like every time i step in front of a painting or a sculpture especially one i haven't seen before i bring all my other experiences to bear on that and i think that dialogue that you have with the artist and the piece that he left behind is his testimony of what he thinks is meaningful mm -hmm. and beautiful and that's a whole discussion I'd love to have time to go into that because I think that's you know why do you paint that simple question is Impossible a motivator <laughs> yeah but it's a motivator for why what it is you're doing and how you go about it and I think uh, the more you get into that uh, area the more you find out about yourself, it just comes back to you. So going back to the you know the experience, the mirror yeah. of culture, that it becomes this communing uh, that is it goes through space and time. I mean, there is there are no boundaries. You can actually go back to cave painting and and connect with those individuals. Mm -hmm. I think that's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it. Uh, you know, I get goosebumps all the yeah, time. You kind of like answered stuff. it. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of answered it. Good, yeah. good answer. Okay. <laughs> the, I mean, I think uh, when we had Graydon on, I think he mentioned that you know the uh, the Bard book initially, like those 
the things that they chose to like the casts that they chose were supposed to also teach taste hmm. and that was part of it um i wouldn't I would des- definitely disagree with that. I would say it wasn't so much taste, but... I might be it, misquoting. <laughs> well, may, I don't want to disagree necessarily, but I think the, um, the process, what's happening is, is the, the simplification and the geometry of the, of the forms, they've been condensed in mm-hmm. classical Greek sculpture. And so that process of making them more almost architectural, mm-hmm. and it's, it, the words here are very difficult. You know, you have to, how do you condense a shape? Like it, take the nose of uh, the Hermes of Raxiviles, which is sitting over there. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you simplify the human features uh, to give them more structure and, and beauty? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. They did it, and by drawing them, you you start to see the process, the simplification process, right. where the the power of the image comes from, and I think that that that's why they use the the, the Greek sculpture. And when you get away from that, when you start copying sculpture from other other you know epics of, um, of other other centuries. Uh, you find that they're more, let's say, mannered, and you copy the mannerisms. And there's something so pure about the Greek sculpture. I just, I think the Riachi bronzes, for example, are the most beautiful things ever made by man. They're mm. just, they leave me speechless. The first time I saw them, I, I literally wept. It was just an incredible experience. And It's amazing how art does that. How art can, um, it can be so that, emotional yeah. that it can do that. Yeah. That it can bring people to weeping, and you hear that all the time. You know, whether it's a piece of music, whether it's a visual, you know, sculpture, painting, or something, that you hear human beings saying, "I don't know. I just started crying, and I don't know why." Yeah. I wept. Yeah, that's magic. <laughs> that's why you know it's a the life of an artist uh, is. We're so blessed, you know, in so many ways that we have a life full of beauty and experiences like that. And to encourage that in other people, uh, you know, I'm so fortunate to have a, uh, have been exposed to this and, and communed with it my whole life. And it's so enriching. Um, it's, you, know, you pass it along in everything you do to all the people you meet. Um, you know, my family, I mean, my wife and I, you know, we, we travel around. She loves to, to go to museums and, and, and really enjoys the, the whole <laughs> The whole experience yeah. of it, you know, it's so enriching, and so many people choose to ignore it. It's like they're so busy doing other things that they miss some of the most spectacular Signal things that things. are right here. That's and, one of the great things about Florence, I find, is or my experience there was that people live the, the pace of life is people appreciate you know moments in life, and I find in New York we're always hurrying and rushing, and you know you're on a subway and your face is like a half an inch from somebody else's face and <laughs> it's you're in a hurry and it's uncomfortable and it's not nice and in Florence you're walking along the Arno and it's sunset and it's beautiful and what we're doing right now is slowing everything down yeah it's nice yeah, to have a conversation um yeah with no script with no script yeah for sure <laughs> can I ask you guys uh, a question of course is that, is that okay yeah um uh, do you have a favorite painter we were gonna ask you that. That's not fair. Beach, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a hard one. 
Because I like to throw that at other people and just see what they come up with. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted, you want to feel that? It's pretty challenging. I mean, it changes constantly. It's revealing. You know, a month ago, I probably would have said Turner and... Uh, uh, oh, was I about to press About Siri? to. <laughs> I keep putting my elbow on Siri. Um, I don't... You know, it depends, I guess, a little bit also on what I'm working on in the studio. I did name my son Reppin. Okay, that says something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite fond of repping. You know what? The, there's a beautiful portrait at the Metropolitan that he painted of a Russian short story writer who committed suicide about a year after the portrait was done. And there's so much emotion hmm. in that painting. And uh, I, before our son was born, I went there with my wife and she saw that painting. Uh, I had been kind of advocating for the idea of a, a son named Repin. And uh, uh, she was pregnant at the time, and we went and looked, and she was so moved by that painting, and she, I think she, she started to cry, and it was just such a beautiful mm. painting and a beautiful moment, and she was all for uh, naming her son Reppin after that. Could I, could I jump on that? Do you know the first time I, actually, I think we both, the first time I saw that, I was actually with Ted, and we went to the museum, and we were both. Tony wept, and I held him. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We were walking around, and apparently they just I hadn't met my wife yet. Of... <laughs> you may be revealing more than you think. Okay, oh, everybody knows. Or there's no secrets there. You didn't hear this first and suggested donation. But we were at the museum, uh, you know, just sort of tooling around the museum, uh, and they just put it up. Um, one of the one of the uh, uh, the curators, um, you know, put up a bunch of new paintings that they had in storage, and that was in storage for apparently years. And we came across it, and we were both like, "Whoa!" We didn't know it was Reppin. Mm -hmm. We were both, and then we were like, "Oh, it's Iliad Reppin." And we were looking at it. We were both like, just mesmerized mm -hmm. by it. You know, without reading any of the definition, we were both like just talking about so it. So haunting. It was haunting, and we didn't know why. It was just it was beautifully made, and it was beautifully painted and everything about it that's but we were both mesmerized by it and we both read you know the description and we found out like whoa we know why because he captured the soul of this tortured person mm. who soon afterwards committed suicide and you look at the painting and you're like you couldn't have captured anything more accurately it's beautifully made Everything about it is great, but you can see the torment in this poor man's like eyes. And we both saw it instantly. And you know, for a while afterwards, we were like, "It's one of the best portraits I've ever seen." But that pathos, that connection that you make, is what you bring to that experience. You know, uh, somebody else can walk in and look at the thing and say, "Well, this crazy old guy," you know, right? And, <laughs> and that's valid too because he has nothing to bring to that experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's the I think. The beauty of art, the, the, the most enriching part of that experience yeah. is that how it touches you and, and it uplifts you, even in, in, in a kind of negative way in that sense that, uh, you know, this person committed suicide is really, you know, tragic painting, but we, we can identify with it. You know, yeah. our human suffering is probably their strongest uh, connection with right. humanity. It's yeah. not joy, unfortunately. <laughs> it really is suffering. It's yeah. that pathos that we have for our fellow man. But it's also, I mean, there's something beautiful about somebody who lived and felt so deeply that they couldn't live mm. with that. Or, or they just had bills they couldn't pay. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so let's do my portrait next. 
that. Yeah. <laughs> You're pasty. So what about you? Uh, do you have a, a an artist? That, are, oh, are, no. Are we skipping by? Yeah, oh. no, Daniel's pointing at me. Um, would it be cheating? <laughs> You're buying yourself some time to yeah, think well, about it. Quickly, like, quickly, quickly. Favorite artist, time, favorite no. Sound smart. Please sound smart. Um, <laughs> would it be cheating to say that... I mean, it, it's it's hard as an artist to say one. You know, I know it's it's a cop out, but to say there's one artist that is my favorite. You know, you when I go to the museum, uh, I'll see something new and be like, oh, that that person's my favorite artist now. But generally, if you boil it down, I mean, it's it's the art stars. You can't help but love Rembrandt. Say he's like one of the best. You know, ever. Um, I, you know, I love the 19th century. You know, artists like uh, you know, I love you know, what Bouguereau contributed to the world of art. Um, you know, we've had this discussion before where one of the, the moments in my life that, that changed me as an artist was seeing a, uh, a Rubens, like a, a big Rubens for the first time. Mm -hmm. I, I just never saw anything like that in my life and it changed everything. So I don't know. I mean, Reppin, Rubens, I mean, I it's, love Charles Barg. He only all all yeah. although he only painted like a handful of paintings. What Maybe he did was was one of the you know in that genre was one of the best ever. Yeah. Um, so it's a hard th you know. But then you you might bring up some of the 17th or 18th century Italians, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about them. They're so <laughs> amazing. So it's a hard one to answer. Uh, could I say all of the above? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, Thank you for letting me, let me go on that one. No, but I think it, 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 the honesty is what I appreciate. I think that's what uh, the question uh, you know, deserves is like uh, you know, opening up your soul a little bit and saying, okay, this is who I like. You know, <laughs> my painting sucks, but you know, <laughs> this is, yeah, I think... Um, I mean, somebody it, even like Sar you know the the arts like Sargent and all of them you can't Zorns all of them you're yeah, like they're yeah, all yeah. they're great they're painters all of them you know all like the most beautiful people who ever you know for me who ever walked the face of the planet you know like I love them I love them deeply and I don't even know who they are I know? do remember though in life in my life uh, in a very very dark period uh, going through the museum and not getting much from any of the paintings except for Rembrandt. When I stood in front of a Rembrandt, it felt like, uh, you know, I mean, he obviously knowing his life story, you know, how much he suffered and mm -hmm. how much he survived through. And you see that, you read that particularly in his self-portraits. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming upon his self-portrait of the Metropolitan and feeling like there was just some somebody who understood in that paint, you know, it's yeah. just paint on a canvas, but it felt like there was some connection there and you know whereas Sargent are absolutely amazing paintings I didn't feel they, they felt you know virtuosic but not necessarily like Soul they fun. could connect yeah maybe or just not like there was a connection on this human level I couldn't agree more I mean you know uh, Rembrandt's sort of my first love you know the, mm -hmm. the person that literally transformed me from uh, drawing comic books to Oh my God! Uh, I've told the story a million times. It's even in our book. It's uh, going to the National Gallery with my family and seeing the self-portrait of Rembrandt and standing in front of it. I was like really bored walking around the museum. And my parents <laughs> were dragging me to this thing, you know, and, and I just literally ended up looking at this man stand, staring back at me. And I thought, "There's something. Why different, yeah. is that so meaningful?" 
it's just an old guy looking at me. <laughs> and, and that question has really motivated my life from wow. that day forward. Um, because there is a significance beyond the image that that connection is what gives power to art. And that power is beauty. And also, um, what you were saying about how psychologically, psychologically you can connect with this person, there's, there's nothing standing between you. Like when you're looking in his eyes, yeah. and you're looking right yeah. at him. I mean, there are hundreds of years between <laughs> you, and yet, yeah, nothing. It's like a time travel. It's, it's time travel, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And gosh, isn't that extraordinary? Anyway, yeah. I, I, yeah, maybe it's too romantic, but I really believe in this, and I think uh, it can enrich everybody's life, you know, if they're open to it. So can you name some of your favorite yeah. painters? Well, no, Rembrandt for sure. I mean, Rembrandt. Brett's, uh, first love, first, uh, and I keep coming back. You know, you fall in and out of love with people through the years, right. and whatever, but, you know. Rembrandt's he, always there for you in the end. He's always there. <laughs> always there. <laughs> never, never get tired. Uh, you know, um, I think other significant painters that have stayed with me, um, Ribera, for example. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Powerful. Wow. And, and the thing for me... Uh, it's again kind of hard to explain, but he transforms paint into actual skin. So oh, when yeah, you look yeah. at the painting, it's no longer paint. Uh, you know, Bouguereau was great at painting the representation of flesh, yeah. but Rivera created flesh. it. He yeah. actually made flesh. And he was that, doing Caroscuro when Caroscuro wasn't even cool. And that. <laughs> that's always fascinated me and I think I'm again just stuck on that you know how do you do that that's a technical challenge because it's also a visual challenge it's how do you apply the paint to have it turn out like there's glowing light coming yeah. off from real flesh because no matter what you say in that in in so many in many ways is that uh, you can create a real person on a canvas and let them tell your story. You yeah. Know? He, he told the Catholic story, you know, mm -hmm. the, the martyrdom of St. Bartholomew or whatever it was. Be, he put it to life. It's like the high-tech version of Star Wars or something. It's just real. Yeah. And, and it's still so real today that, as it was 500 years ago. And they were so big, some of them. Like yeah, he, his, paint, his canvases are massive. I remember seeing him at the, you know, at the Prado. Prado. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it, you know, one of those, you know, Put you on your butt moments, like, whoa. <laughs> you know, how but sculpture too. I mean, I'm, I'm really um, fascinated with sculpture, and and often moved more by sculpture than painting. Well, and that's a big arm of the Florence Academy, the sculpture program. Yep. Rob Bodum has done an amazing job. He's a beautiful human being. He is. I love Rob. <laughs> um, many romantic dinners with him. <laughs> no. You got any stories Kelly you can tell? Him. You're willing to tell? <laughs> yeah. uh, he became a friend of my son's uh, when they were both five years old. So I've known Rob since he was five. Oh, because wow. he's from Rochester. Rochester. Just uh, his parents lived down the street from my, my parents. And when we'd go back in the summers, Jamin would go out and play with the neighborhood kids and hooked up with Rob and stayed, they stayed friends all these years, went to college together. Oh, at BU? Son, BU, yep. Yeah. And, and then he came over and studied uh, at the Florence Academy for a year and then uh, went back, did his uh, uh, master's and wrote me a letter and said, Dan, I'm thinking about coming to Florence. Uh, I'd love to start a sculpture program. And I said, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> We, uh, a week or two later, a place became available, and 
We rented Luna. it. We, we had, yep, Via Luna. We had no students at all. But we had Rob coming over to start a sculpture program. It was <laughs> the awesome. biggest leap of faith I've ever made. <laughs> so great. And if you build grew. it, they will come. Exactly. Exactly. You open the doors and they will come. Mm-hmm. And it, it's slow start. You know, it was rough in the beginning. Uh, we had a few drawing students working over there because the drawing was right. going. But uh, we eventually, now it's just... Have you seen the sculpture that comes out of I've it? seen some of them, yeah. Oh, my I mean, gosh. every time I go to Florence, I always want to see Rob. So so proud of that uh, achievement that he's made. And so many people, uh, they're all doing so well. They're, they're out there, you know. Well, and they're getting big and, church commissions. Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of Gobi. going, really connecting with the tradition. Yeah. Do you have any favorite sculptors that you'd like to mention? Uh, well, um well, Hermes of Praxivile sitting in the corner. That's pretty good. Uh, we don't know who created the Riachi bronzes, but uh, yeah, whoever did, whoever uh, did that, yeah, they're 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 on the top of my list. Yeah. You have to go to Calabria to actually see the Riachi bronzes, mm-hmm. but it is it. a transforming experience. the The intensity of that sculpture is it just hums and i described it to people like i get really emotional about this you know worked up about it (laughs) go to calabria go 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 go. (laughs) but um they were restored in florence and i I went on the last day that they were on view and walked in not expecting i had no idea what to expect i saw the poster and it looked kind of corny or whatever walk in and it's all dark the whole room's dark and they have spotlights on the sculpture and walking across the floor just transfixed on them that it was just so emotional, so powerful. Uh, it just transformed my my experience. About it was almost like a religious experience. Mm. Just kind of wow, so much beauty. They're not like body casts. They're not really human. They're mm-hmm. God human people. They're sort of beyond human, and I think that's the fascinating thing for me that they they've taken the the. the the aspect of a human being and made it like perfect or transformed it into something that you could just meditate on as the the perfect person their their proportions are all out of whack uh, but what i would compare it to is like michelangelo he would do a, a sculpture and it was like raging torrents of water you know yeah. twisted in you know energy everywhere but the riachi bronze is like standing next to a a, a really deep flowing river that's really fast but quiet silent just it's got that energy where you know if you just stepped into that water you'd be taken away there'd be no help and And it it, it, it almost sounds like you'd be taken away and you'd be okay with it oh yeah i don't know where it's going exactly i might never come back but i'm okay and i think the more painters and sculptors today that focus on that if they shoot for the stars, they may hit the rooftops, but if you just shoot for the for the rooftops, you're going to get on the, on the on the you're <laughs> only gonna end up on the front porch. And I'm I'm really encourage people to you know set your set your mark really high, you know, yeah. because it's your legacy. It's like what you're saying is important to our generation, to the people around you, and and to yourself, really. Yeah, you can't paint for anybody else. That's the other thing. You can't paint for anyone. Yeah, except for yourself. Yeah. It's easy to get swept away in like what others are saying, but it sounds like you're leaving a last. I mean, you have the Florence Academy, and now you have New Jersey, 
you have, is it Gothenburg in Sweden? Yep. You mm-hmm. have the, uh, another Mondal, Sweden. Mm-hmm. You have, obviously, Florence Academy in Florence. Is there any other locations? Am I missing one? <laughs> Not that I know of. You're building, aren't <laughs> you building a, a new building years. in Florence or, or taking over a new space in Florence that's going to house everything? We're every- at, the, at the edge of purchasing uh, a campus, a real campus for the Florence Academy wow. in Florence. We have uh, seven locations now in Florence, and we're going to put them all under one roof. So consolidated so, all. Wow. Yeah. And we're really excited by this. The board of the school has been in, immensely generous and... We are ever, ever closer to signing. <laughs> we were supposed to do it in February. That's why I'm saying it. It's now May. So, you know, in a, in, in a month's time, we should be uh, closing the deal, starting construction. And by 2016, uh, well, October 2016, we'll be up and running. The owning of a space, I think, for an institution is critical. I mean, yeah. that that it, it creates kind of a permanent footprint in the world. And you see it all. The, I mean, the places around New York, the Art Students League and the National Academy of Design. New York Academy. Yeah. yeah. They're all there. It's bricks and mortar. And it's part of the dream, like to set up, first of all, the program that, you know, it's pretty solid, as solid as I can make it at this point. And to have a building and a board of directors that will carry it on, I mean, you know. It was important to me that uh, if I was going to go down that road and be a teacher and devote part of my life and energy to doing this, I wanted it to carry on. And and also in doing that, it 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 helped me to do a better job. And it wasn't like just come and study with me for a while and right. then go off into the world and then when I'm gone, it's it's over. It's kind of I, bigger. I really wanted also the the collaboration of, of a lot of young artists along with this so that it would go on and it would change and it will develop. And if, as long as we have a guiding board that uh, is understanding of our mission and they're uh, going to stay behind that, uh, I think it will go on for quite a while. And that's very important to me because it's like if any anything, if you don't have people that are uh, supporting it and continuing in that, in that vein, it's going to die out. So we all have to, you know, do our part. And I know, Ted, you're, you know, you're teaching and doing a great job. Yeah, Tony um, and I are yeah. at uh, Jacob's. Okay, I, I just have right That's now, great. Now, is the new, the new facility going to be able to hold, house um, uh, more students? No, no. Same amount? No, I'm, uh, I, uh, the magic number for me, we have. Right. I don't want to get any bigger. I'm, uh, in fact, it's, you know, the, U.S. campus is uh, taking us a step beyond that, maybe a, <laughs> a little bit. But we really need, as I said earlier, the the exposure and the right. connection to what's going on. And I think that's uh, the injection of that energy and stuff is really important for us. Um, no, it's about quality. I want to. Yeah. It's like keeping it manageable. Is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It, you want to know all. Uh, no, no people slipping through the cracks or anything exactly. like that because there's too many. And we've developed a really good way of keeping track of all the students. You know, we do critiques uh, at the end of every trimester. Yeah, those and are great. It's, and, and it's really become quite uh, <laughs> uh, uh, programmed, I guess you'd call it. Um, you know, we have a list of checklists and things that we go through. We talk to the students about uh, their weaknesses, their strengths. And as a whole group, uh, all the teachers meet talk to the to the student with all of the work of that trimester and it's one of the most significant things that we've added to the curriculum through the years that um, really pinpoints uh, and helps direct the student because they need to know what they're doing well and 
what they're not doing well. We've instituted that also in. Uh, oh, great. And, um, great. 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 Uh, we usually do it uh, just twice a year, but I find that just as a teacher, getting a sense of where everybody's at, like you, you really. It's hard to, you know, week after week, you're dealing with a bunch of students, uh, and uh, it's hard to keep track of exactly where everybody is. And to see it all in one glance, you really have a sense, okay, this person needs to really work on this, and this person, you know, this is going great. Maybe this could be going better. And But having all the instructors in the same room at the same time with all the work, yeah. It puts all the pressure on because they can't say, well, you know, so-and-so told me that was, you know, a little bit better than what you're saying. You know, it's like having mom and dad in the same room yeah. when you're saying. Well, in the dialogue, I think, between the teachers is really interesting. I think that we, you know, I get to hear what, you know, what Tony is yeah, exactly. saying to people. And I find that that's also really valuable because, I, you know, we don't necessarily get to talk about each student every week. And so, you know, if you periodically check in and see everything that somebody's doing and I hear Tony say how great he thinks this part is maybe it helps me rethink about how to I don't know communicate with this particular person or or you just say I'm wrong you're like whatever Tony said is wrong well mostly yeah I was trying to disregard all that stuff be nice (laughs) (laughs) but that communication that dialogue is uh, essential for students to see everybody's pulling in the same direction or there's a consensus that's going on and they can't really refute it it's right there, black and white. So what am I going to do? Yeah. And they, um, you were also recently you got accredited so that you can yep. uh, you give can offer college credit for Credits, yeah. for a certificate, not for a degree yet. We're, we're working on that. But. Well, the <laughs> wait, you you would offer a certificate, but the credits could apply towards a degree, right? Exactly, exactly. That's amazing. I mean, that's right. an instant. It's interesting. I, I've always found it's kind of interesting that this movement that uh, hasn't occurred on college campuses where, you know, I don't know if you're in the medical field, like everything's happening on a college campus, but Mm -hmm. for art, for whatever reason, this particular movement has sort of grown in different settings. And this is one of the biggest steps that I've seen towards it being kind of becoming more sort of institutionally recognized. The NASAD uh, group came to, to Florence to review us, and the dialogue that we had was so fascinating. Who's you know, the NASAD? Can you explain uh, the NASAD? The National whatever, Academy of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> NASAD. <laughs> NASAD. <laughs> they, they, they review for certification. Yeah. And uh, it's a group of people. They Some look at the finances of the school, others look at the curriculum, and then they interview teachers, staff, everybody. And they're really thorough. That's and I think it's uh, it's a fantastic organization. I must say, I, w- I came th- out of this thinking, I'm so happy it exists because mm. uh, it really cuts the wheat from the chafe. You know, it's it's they do a great job and they're very thorough. And but the dialogue was amazing. I mean, the people that were there, we we just talked about. Uh, well, you know, the question was, why are you doing this? Why are you applying for NASA? Why don't you just uh, you know continue as a a non-credit giving institution. I said, well, I think it's coming full circle. And he kept saying, well, why don't you hire graduates to teach in your school? And I said, well, there is no, you know, there is no university that's actually doing this. giving yeah. giving degrees in what I do. That's why we're doing this. And finally the <laughs> coin dropped. He got it. He's like, so that's why 
<laughs> you, you don't have gra you know people with graduate degrees uh, teaching in your school. I said exactly because <laughs> they're not out there, uh, and and that's changing. It's going to yeah. change, and I hope I'm a part of that. I want to be a accredited degree giving institution because it will it will validate us in the bigger world, and right. that's it's important. It's really important. I don't feel the need that somebody else has to validate us, but I do feel the need to be connected to academia. I think right. that's very important. Well, I think also, I mean, that validation may not matter as much for you personally, but for the students coming yeah. out and for their ability, you know, or, or their ability to convince their parents to let them do, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's well, important. For, for, for federal funding yeah. and for visas for students coming in from uh, overseas, that's another really important factor. And this is all controlled by the government, and you have to play ball with the big boys. You know, right. This is uh, you, we've we've done that in Florence, but we haven't done that here yet. Well, it's in the in the works. In the works. Oh, for the the, the U.S. Uh, campus. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like there are any concessions that you have to make, or are you no. just able no, no. to they're, tell no, they're, them they're, here's what we do? And... They're very good. They're really? Good. So yeah. they're not like, well, if you're yes, but you have to do it this. Well, for for credits, you have to give the number of hours, and there is a credit uh, equivalent for those number of hours that we have to abide by, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, other than that, they, the curriculum. They don't. Uh, wow! Nothing. I didn't. I just figured. They I heard would... that you had to do figure painting and glitter yeah. and, and a performance piece That's first year. about yeah. pasta. Yeah. And pasta. <laughs> <laughs> There's no longer a Barg program. Yeah. That's huge. Got a lot of irons in the fire. You know, we're <laughs> buying the campus, uh, opening a branch school. 25th anniversary book. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, yeah. The book looks amazing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. We Do discovered there was a page missing. <laughs> so <laughs> we, have to, we have to pass out one one extra page to everybody. But uh, no, it came out beautifully. And uh, Alison Malafronte did a, an amazing job. Really, yeah. really incredible. She came over and stayed with us for a month and a half or something and, you know, peeked under the rugs and looked in the closet and just got the whole scoop of the Florence Academy. And so that's why I think it's, it came out as well as it did. It just uh, really tells our story and it's, it's as accurate as we could possibly make it. Um, you know, we've probably forgotten some people, yeah. not, not on purpose, uh, people that, uh, you know, maybe, well, there've been uh, so many people. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, even people that you'd like to pretend that weren't there. Didn't exist. You know, yeah. We included <laughs> them. And you know, I, I believe that uh, if you're going to write a historical document, you got to do the best you can and just be as straightforward as you, as possible. Right. So, anyway, that's our our attempt, uh, <laughs> and I think it came out beautifully. It's got some some great artwork in there. Yeah. Um, and the students are just. But I'm again really blessed because uh, so many of the people that come through the Florence Academy is just amazing people. You know, just the salt of the earth, I and mean, I'm. I, I just uh, often just smile, you know, <laughs> yeah. thinking about how many wonderful people I've met through the years. Well, and they become your community. I mean, they're exactly. your friends. They're yeah. your, you know, you're essentially almost like your family. And we're all chiefs, you know, at the end of the day. You know, that's <laughs> a, one of the big problems for artists, isn't it? You know, we're like herding cats or, you know, yeah, yeah. No, all chiefs, no braves. And yet there is this connection that gives yeah. us a kind of community. And I didn't have any of that. I mean... I was, you know, back in the 70s in Florence, uh, we were all a group of artists and we were all kind of doing our thing, but it was, it was, it was tough love, you know, a lot yeah. of, a lot of <laughs> <laughs> infighting and all kinds of stuff. But, uh, 
I think in the right environment, this can really flourish, and you have to you have to live what you believe in. You know, if I taught everybody to come and work for eight hours every day, and I'd show up at noon in my studio and work for a few hours and then go someplace else, that's the wrong message. Right. So the message is, you have to do what it is you're asking everybody to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the foundation of the Florence Academy. If you're uh, a drawing instructor and you're you're trying to get somebody to, to make a cast drawing and they are struggling with it, the student should be able to give you the charcoal and say, okay, I can't do it. Show me what you're doing. Yeah. And it's that practicality. Uh, if you're learning music or le- learning to play the piano and you said, the instructor said, no, it's not right, it's not right. And you keep trying and trying and then you eventually have to say, well, let Could you yeah. no play it? You play it for me. I Step want to hear aside, the difference. Student. Yeah. yeah, that gives us validity. You yeah. know, as a as a school and as yeah. an institution, that um, it's not just talk. You right. have to do it. Everybody who is teaching there. Everyone. Can, yeah. Really? Everyone. And I've yeah. got amazing teachers. Amazing teachers. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. Just. Well, <laughs> what's so fortunate is that you would have somebody like you who had a, you know, the the vision and the. Um, you know, the, the idea of wanting to make this place, this community, to push things forward the way you did. So, um, you know, as a fan of art and as an artist, I thank you for doing that. Wow, thank because you. Because I think it's incredibly important what you did. And it just takes people like you to set an institution that can change everything. That's so. a lot of teamwork, let me tell you. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the, it needs my, to start from somewhere. My, my partner in all this is Susan Tintori, and she's the... She's the organizer and the development person and <laughs> publicity person. And, and you know, I know it would have been a tough sale without a, a, a pretty solid uh, academic program. But uh, I think we're, we're a good team. You know, we, yeah. we complement each other really well. We've, we don't cross each other's paths. In, well, not paths, but, you know, we don't cross over each other's expertise. And that's what, how we can coexist. We She's know our, our boundaries and we're... I'm sorry. She's an artist. No, she's not an artist. no. She was actually trained as a restorer, so she has a uh, a real solid knowledge of art and just loves you know education, painting, and that's where our kindred spirits uh, kind of pulled together when yeah. when we knew we had to put the students first. And it it was definitely there was a deciding point, like you know, do we put this money in our pocket or do we? <laughs> and <laughs> you know, back in the day, in, yeah. there was only there was a it was just like uh, you know. Uh, a little change and that was it uh, at the end of the month and there were many times we didn't didn't get paid it yeah. was rough times you put it back into the school had to yeah and we had to keep the best students we had to set up a scholarship fund we, we run these in pretty much the entire school on tuition yeah. and we've done that all along and it's uh, it keeps us on the straight and narrow and it also uh, but we also generate $180,000 worth of scholarship money wow. as well. So we are able to keep our best students. Yeah. So You're a Leade or no, well, they don't have, they don't use there. that anymore. <laughs> Me and the oh, those were nice so, days. Those were oh, nice yeah, days. <laughs> but now the dollars, uh, yeah, it's coming, coming back. Strong, yeah. 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 Dropped a little bit the other day, but yeah. it's good. We're, we're, we're happy. So is there a way for the people listening to this? I mean, they just go online and then Google yeah, Florence Academy, Florence Academy and, yeah, pops up. And if it's something that they, you know, it's definitely a place that, you know, if they are looking for this and willing to take the time and the dedication mm-hmm. and move to Florence and study. 
Or three years. Well, it's also what we're setting up is that uh, we'll be able to move students between the three campuses wow. seamlessly. It's the same program. I mean, the, everybody's gone through the school. Uh, I only have one teacher, I believe, two teachers right now that haven't been trained at the Florence Academy. Everybody else has been trained there. Hmm. And the people that are haven't been trained are so connected to us that right. <laughs> they might as well be. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, that cohesion, that connectedness is what is the foundation of the school as well, because we're all pulling in the same direction. Their training is what they're passing on to the next generation. So there's no conflict. I don't pull somebody in from the outside and say, well, you know, we don't use a limited color palette. We use like 25 colors, you know. I don't have those kind of issues in so the school. So there's no confusion between no, the no three. No confusion, yeah. It's and they get it. Seamless. They understand why why it's done because that's what they do. Right. And it's always their version of what we do. Right. And I don't dis discourage uh, their variation at all. Uh, in fact, I find that really important. So a student will see maybe five teachers in a week, and let's say two out of the five they really respond to. And the other people, uh, you know, they come in, that's fine, but mm -hmm. they're really connected to, to two out of the five. That's fantastic. That's yeah. that's golden. You know, yeah. if you have one teacher and you don't like the guy or you don't get along, yeah. you're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like the, uh, the, the empowering the teachers to kind of uh, add their own voice also feeds back into your own art and your own kind of understanding Absolutely. of painting? It's the respect for the individual. I have the highest regard for everybody yeah. i think uh yeah I, how can you go through life and not you know respect your your fellow man no matter who they are mm -hmm. I, and, and so by by actually living that rather than just talking about it is yeah really important Barnes academy of art <laughs> <laughs> go there we're just getting warmed up i know <laughs> well damn uh thank you so much for taking the time out and coming to talk to us it, it was not only a treat but I mean, insp inspirational to me and to oh, all of us. And I think you. anybody listen to, listening to this is incredibly inspired right now. They're probably, you know, running to the studio to paint as much as they can. If right I now. could do that, I would be the happiest guy in the world. Uh, you I know, think you just did. Every, <laughs> get out there and paint. The The solution to everything is don't be your own critic. Or just, sculpt. Or sculpt, thank you. <laughs> just do the work. Every yeah. day, get in the studio. That's the secret, you know. There's no other... There's, and the thing is, uh, Paulo Coelho had this beautiful uh, short story about uh, his process of uh, creation. And he said it was like getting in a rowboat and seeing an island way out in the sea and then start, starting to row toward that island. And at a certain point, he turns around, you turn around and the island's not there anymore. Hmm. You figure, well, I'll just keep rowing and rowing and rowing. And eventually, he gets to this place that he didn't start out to go to, but he arrives at a new new location. And I think... That's kind of the story of the creative process for me. It's a beautiful visual that, you know, I start a painting and I think I know where I'm going. I get into the process. The painting keeps telling me, no, it's not there. It's somewhere else. Change this, change that. And if you're open to it and you keep moving in the direction the painting is, your dialogue is, is taking you and you stay open to that process, you end up someplace that you probably better than you could ever imagine so where you were starting off. You're get there. So if there's anything as you start that painting to keep in mind, but stay open uh, to the process. The process is magic. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a, you know, control thing. And I was, I, you know, 
I was young and stupid, and for years she just thought, you know, the more I controlled the technique and the process, the better the painting would be. Well, it got you, you just strangle the life out of it. So, in in your development as a painter, leave room for growth and leave room for you know inspiration and magical stuff to happen, and the painting's going to get better. Yeah. You know, I'm not following that. We're ending it right on that. <laughs> Thanks, thank you guys. so much. I'm not following that. As I have to say, personally, thank you so much. I, I'm so grateful for the time that I spent in Florence and for your helping me and being supportive. One of my favorite students, man. You are great. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing work. Amazing work. I love those seascapes. And wow. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us, and uh, thank, thank you, you to the Sal Gundy Club for uh, hosting us in the library, and of course, Jay always, Jay Brown. Yeah, and remember to um, get on iTunes and uh, uh, review it, and like us, and do, but all not this a bad stuff. review, a good, not review. a bad review. Good reviews. If you have yeah. bad reviews, keep it to yourself. <laughs> And thanks for the rosé. That was a great wine. Yeah. Okay. But by the way, we were drinking the whole time. So, yeah. yeah. Woo! Now the conversation is going to get interesting. Yeah, we're going to shut these mics off and it's going to get saucy. <laughs> right. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Guys. Thanks a lot. But, you know, one of those, you know, put you on your butt moments. Like, whoa.